Good morning, everybody. Back at it, 903 here. Uh, up North Beecher. This is the Beecher Preacher. I am Marty Leeds. You are listening to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm uh, thank you, um, thankful that you're all here. I got a new guitar. It's from like 2009. 2009, it cost me $230, and it sounds fantastic. So, well, I'm biased, but... fuck I had left to give Just trying to burn out my spark to live But a free man can never cave to their demands Got a burning heart and two feet on which to land I ain't losing sleep over their dreamy nightmares Ain't sealing my fate in the devil's wants and wares it's damned if you do and damned if you don't So the answer for me is I can and I won't We made medicine for the fools that taste like regret They used them all for tools and watched their sunset They made poison for us all and some they liked the taste Waving their flags and their virtues misplaced they made medicine for the fools Tomorrow it can't come nearly fast enough Today I laughed so hard it busted up my gut Yesterday I watched them all strut their stuff Cowards dancing like fools and acting tough Every ounce of meat in they sucked bone dry Bellowed out proudly a mind full of lies Lost little sheep claiming they are all wise Confident men really boys in disguise They made medicine for the fools the taste like regret They used them all for tools And watched their sunset They made poison for us all And some they liked the taste Waving their flags And their virtues misplaced They made medicine for the fools tools and watch their sunset they made poison for us all and some they liked the taste waving their flags and their virtues misplaced they made medicine for the fools that only works when they say just two more boosts and we'll all be okay they made venom these snakes and their hiss doesn't stop Thank God for the outlaws cutting their damn heads off. 
They made medicine for the fools Morning, 56 of you, which is the uh, divisors of the number 28. So 1, 2, 4, 7, uh, 14, 28. If you add that together, it's 56, which is 28 times 2. Welcome, everybody. Thank you all for being here. All right, today we're going to be doing uh, Mark chapter 15. So this is uh, one and done, where you got one more. We got Mark chapter 16, and then we're done. And Mark chapter 16 is only about 20 verses. And so um, it's going to be a short one. But this one is going to be a long one. Uh, strap in. We're, I'm going to take my time today. There's a, there, I mean, I always say this. I always say this. But there's a lot of stuff to cover. Got to repeat myself too much. But there is, there's this whole chapter is just jam-packed. And when I started picking through it, this literally took me about two and a half days to put this whole thing together. So I'm going to walk through it. I'm going to take my time doing it. I'm not going to be rushed or anything like that. There's, whole, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on here. And it's going to be awesome. So strap in. Buckle up. Thank you all for being here. I really appreciate it. Uh, first, before we get into Mark chapter 15, uh, like I said, one more chapter and we're done, which is awesome. And this is called the King of the Jews. And we're going to talk about why Jesus is called the King of the Jews. That's a big one. So, But before we do that, let's uh, do a prayer. O Divine Logos, transform me into yourself. May my hands be the hands of Christ. Grant that every faculty of my body may serve only to glorify you. Above all, give me sight to see what it has always been, the kingdom of God without and within, that we may attain to the holy gnosis and have a share and inheritance with all the saints and adepti who have pleased you since the beginning. Transform my soul and all its power so that my memory, will, and affection may be the memory, will, and affections of Christ. Amen. That actually comes from, there's a guy from Telegram, Serpens 8 uh, shared this, and it's from the Johannite Templar Rosary. And it's this little PDF basically about the rosary and stuff. The rosary, by the way. The rosaries. Um, really great. Little, little PDF that was really great. So thank you for sharing that. This was another thing that was in there. It says, Cross, what makes us free? What makes us free is the gnosis of who we were, of what we have become, of where we were, of wherein we have been cast, of whereto we speed, of wherefrom we are redeemed, of what birth truly is, and of what rebirth truly is. <laughs> this is pretty awesome. So, um, you know, those Templars, they might have known uh, just a little bit about Gnosis. So it's good. So um, if you guys do want, I, I just posted this too on the old website there for um, remembers at GnosticAcademy.org. GnosticAcademy.org, uh, downloadable PDFs. I've got a whole slew, I don't know, a couple hundred there of a bunch of like obscure books and Rosicrucian stuff and free Freemasonic stuff and mystical literature and occult stuff, like a whole slew of, of PDFs. Um, every, yeah, E.W. E. Bullinger, Frank C. Higgins, Alvin Boyd Kuhn, Rudolf Steiner, uh, Manly Palmer Hall, a whole bunch, all to download um, automatically to your device. So if you get a chance, stop on over there. It's a great resource. I've got most, I, I went through and I have most of, not all, but most of the books, at least that I could find, that are on my shelf are in um, those PDFs. So um, if you're looking at some of the stuff that I've read over the years, a lot of it's there. I haven't read all the PDFs there. Uh, I know most of those authors, though, and I know um, 
you know, as always, be discerning when you go through any of this literature. When you go through anything, be discerning, you know. Um, not all of it's good. That's just the way it is, you know. So I can say that about my own literature. So before we get on, like I said, today we're going to do Mark chapter 15, and there's a whole bunch to cover. Um, we're going to do biblical hermeneutics today to a T. Really what this whole live stream is going to be is if um, it's really a recap, a review of literally everything we've covered thus far in the last, you know, subsequent 14 chapters. And so if you haven't, you know, if this is like the first time you're watching this, you probably should turn this off and, and you know, watch the other ones. But today we're going to be really hitting home with the biblical, biblical hermeneutics. That's what we're going to do. So we're going to look at, um, you know, the physiology, the geometry, the numbers, the natural processes of alchemy, the, the allegories and morals in these stories today, the psychology. We're going to hit on the astrological. We're going to be hitting on all of these things today, and they're all going to be hinged off the literal, okay? Um, and it's going to take a while today. This might be a two and a half hour live stream. And so I hope you all uh, stick around or, or you watch till the end. So I appreciate it. Before we get into all of this, I want to say this. I left this as a note. Um, I think we often, we forget that there's a lot of people that are hurting out there. There's a lot of people that are alone. There's a lot of people that are fearful. There's a lot of people that are seeing what's going on in the world and, you know, they're, they're fearful for their community, their families, their, you know, themselves, um, that sort of thing. They, they're unsure of what's going on. They feel a little lost. And um, I don't know. I, I hope that this place can be a, a place where people can feel comfortable coming and, and dis discussing those things in the, in the Telegram group and, and things like that. That's what I would like this to be. Um, I don't know. I just had a few messages and, and just interactions with people in the last like week and a half and stuff like that. And you, a lot of times you forget that people are, are really, really struggling. And so um, if I sometimes come across it across as harsh and stuff like that, please understand that that's only just reflective of me because I get a lot of shit, like a lot of it, like a lot. And sometimes that, you know, tinks, you know, <laughs> chinks the armor a little bit. It could be, so uh, just so you know, um, so I'll be better at that. I'll be better at trying to be a calm and things. So anyway, thank you all for being here at the Church Academy. I left a little message on uh, the Telegram, and I just want to read it to you guys. And a lot of Christians, which I'm vehemently really against of, of this, the whole end times thing. As, as you know, we don't talk about an end times as if the earth is just going to go poof. And, you know, it's just <laughs> all of a sudden it's gone. It just like up and vanishes like a, a you know spontaneously combusts like the freaking spinal tap drummer or something like that. That's not what we teach here. There is going to be an end of a world age in which the the last world age will be destroyed and there will be a new one. Yes, and that's as far as I could tell that's what we're in. But people that sit around and and worry about the end times and and worry about what's going on and you know that's sort of, it, it doesn't that's not helping anything. Um and that's it's something I've learned. So I just want to share this with you guys. Um so something I wrote on Telegram those yielding power currently yearn to bring destruction in this world, as they are doing. No matter what happens, do know this and know it, know it, that they're never in control. God is, always has been and always will be. In fact, I would say the definition of psychopath is to think that you are completely in control of everything in your world. You're not. That's what these people want, though, right? We're going to control everything. That ain't going to end well for you. Now, we have to currently, in our world age, in our world, you know, in the in the schema that we're in right now, we have to deal with this, but we're not supposed to be dealing it with, with fear and trepidation and, and that sort of thing. Remember this. Know this. Know it. 
Know it. That's what we're here. That's why we're a Gnostic Academy. Because we're going to teach you how to know it. Not believe it. Not have some conjecture. Know it. Logos pervades all things. Is above all, through all, and within you all. Those who work for Father Time are simply sick men with satanic plans. That's it. They do not give us the breath in our lungs. They do not make the sun move across the sky, nor do they bring the tides in and out, nor do they make the grass grow, nor do they bring the flowers to bloom. Who does that? God does that. Are they in control of that? I didn't think so. We indeed know that there is evil in this world, and in this world age, absolutely, with those trying to bring total destruction as a catalyst for the arrival of their Mosiach. This is their goal. The Christian Zionists and Jews dream of a literal heaven, which is an actual hell, on this material earth brought forth by their Messiah. This is what they believe, that they're literally going to bring a, that the material earth is going to dissipate and there's only going to be heaven in them with their Messiah. It's all nonsense. It's the dreams and nightmares of psychopaths who hold divine knowledge, sacred knowledge, and wield it with genocidal wickedness. Frank C. Higgins said the goal of our current age would be to expose these dealers in sacred things. This has been going on a long time. A long, long time, at least through this world age. My friends, do not fill your mind with apocalyptic garbage. Do not sit around waiting for the end. Their goals are the dreams slash nightmares of deranged scribes and psychopathic maniacs. Their machinations and schemes are temporal. They're temporal. They're not eternal. Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Let's say it thrice. They know nothing of God. They know nothing of spirit. And they will know nothing of God's mighty kingdom. God does not want us to live in their world. He wants us to live in his. If there is an end times, as they say, no amount of prepping will do. No amount of canned goods or firewood or propane tanks or ammunition will suffice. I'm not saying don't be prepared. Don't live your life in preparedness. We learned that in Boy Scouts, for Christ's sake. Of course you're supposed to. Does that mean you're supposed to live in fear and trepidation constantly, turn on the news and be like, what's happening now? No. The only end times we need to concern, excuse me, the only end times that we need to concern ourselves with is our end times, our death, so that we, we may look back at our life knowing we walked with Christ in the way, truth, and life, and not with those who walked in darkness. Our life is but a preparation for this. If we do that, God takes care of the rest, and that's what we're here for. At least the 88 people that are here, that's what we're here for. Um, if we sit and worry about what they are doing, we spend all of that time not focusing on God and what we are doing. Building our lives worthy of God's gifts and graces. That's what we should be doing. When we focus on their narratives, and I've been talking about this for a very long time, when we constantly focus on their narratives, if you're constantly turning this thing on and being like, oh, what did Dr. Fauci say today? And let's report on that. Oh, what did Donald Trump say today? What did Joe Biden say today? You're constantly in their spell. When we focus on their narratives, we spend less time living in truth, abundance, and love. If we do the best with our hands, we will be in his. Much love. Okay? All right. I think that's a good way to start this baby off. Spot on. I love Sundays. I love you. 87. There should be 870 people watching this. How dare those people? That's all right. Jesus only had 12 people following him, right? Okay. Let's do it. This is, like I said, I'm going to say this again. This is going to be a long one. There's a lot to cover here. There's there's so much going on, and I'm going to um, 
I'm going to be go over some of this fairly briefly just because there, like I said, there's so many things to tap into here. So let's do it. Mark chapter 15. One, and straightway in the morning, right in the morning as the sun was coming up, the chief priests had a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. So all of the scribes, all of the Pharisees, everywhere that they could get, they went across the land, they got all the people and they held consultation. They had elders, they had the scribes, they had the whole council. Everybody there agreed that they were going to destroy this guy's life. They were going to kill Jesus. So what did they do? Straightway in the morning, all of these Jews got together. The chiefs, uh, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes, whole council. And they bound Jesus up and carried him away and delivered him to Pilate. So they weren't going to do the dirty deed. They were going to falsely rat out Jesus and then send him to the Roman governor to have him killed because they were too weak to do it themselves. And Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered and said unto them, Thou sayest it. Okay, let's stop this. So the first thing that we, and we've heard this before, when this, this accusation that Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? Um, why is this being asked? What is this? Why is it so important that his accusers are asking Jesus if he is, quote unquote, the king of the Jews? Because this gets to the heart of Judaism. So what Jesus is, is the Messiah that the Jews have been waiting for this whole time. Their Messiah showed up, and they rejected him. And that's what the whole thing is about. So in Judaism, there's this thing where every time they sit at Passover, right, they have this, they call it sitting, they call it cedar, right, where they keep an extra uh, plate, extra glass of wine and a seat, waiting for Elijah to show up because Elijah, or Elias, as he's understood in the New Testament, Elijah shows up and announces Christ. So the Jews... Their whole thing is sitting around waiting for their Messiah to show up so much so that when they set table at Passover, they keep an extra seat and be like, hey, this Elijah's going to show up and then he's going to announce the Messiah and then the Messiah will be here and then earth will be ours and all the Gentile will be our slaves and all that. Elijah's cup in Judaism, the fifth ceremonial cup of wine poured during the family cedar dinner on Passover, it's the cedar dinner, is left untouched in honor of Elijah, who according to tradition will arrive one day as an unknown guest to herald the advent of the Messiah. Okay, so so why do Jews wait for Elijah on Passover? Jews set an extra table, hoping that he will enter because Elijah is going to announce the coming of the day of the Lord. Well, as we're going to see, that already happened. Now, why is this so important that Jesus is their Messiah? Jesus is the Messiah, we'll just say that. Why is it so important that that's, that's true? Because... What Jesus does is establishes the New Testament. Basically, when Jesus showed up, what he did is said, that's, that's the old stuff. That's the old stuff in which it went corrupt and you guys were not following the law. And you weren't listening to anything Moses said. You were living completely in accordance, not with God's law or natural law or the order of the, of the logos. You were, you were following the traditions of men and your little scribes which scribbled all the shit down. That's what you were doing. That's what you still do today. And that's why... When Jesus is established as the king of the Jews, what he does, what Christianity establishes is Judaism is Satanism. Judaism is literally anti-Christ. That's why it's so important that Jesus is, why, this is why they're asking, hey, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? Because if so, 
oh my God, because what was the message that Jesus brought to these people? Well, it wasn't very good. As we saw in the last 14 chapters of Mark, continually left and right again and again and again and again and again, their Messiah is calling their ass out. And you saw it. You read it if you've been paying attention. So why is it the first thing that we get in Matthew? Why is it the first thing that we come to is what do we have? What's the first thing that we get in Matthew? You guys should know it. We get the generations from Abraham to David, David to Babylon, and Babylon to Christ. Which, why, why are we given the generations? The first thing in Matthew, why are we given the generations from David to Abraham to David, David to Babylon, Babylon to Christ? Because what it does is sets up that Jesus is of the lineage of the Jews, of their people, which means he came from their stock. And then he turned around as one of their people, shows up as their Messiah, and says, you guys weren't getting it right. And the Jews to this day hate that. They hate the fact that their Messiah actually showed up and they rejected him. That's what Christ is. And it's happening to this day. In fact, I just was, when I was reading this, I caught this rabbi that was saying this. He said this, listen to this. Listen to what this rabbi says. Rabbi Fred Sherlinder Dobb. Truth be told, the Messiah has probably been here a few hundred times, says rabbi. Truth be told, the Messiah has probably been here a few hundred times, but got spat on at the way to school or told he wasn't Jewish enough and had to reconvert or got ousted from a temple board meeting because he couldn't pay the dues. Who knows, says the rabbi. So here's one of the rabbi that's literally admitting that, hey, the, their Messiah probably showed up. He did show up, and his name is Lord Jesus Christ, and you rejected him, and he's saying, that's probably what happened because that's what we do. I wasn't Jewish enough. He was, he was teaching that, that divine knowledge to those goy. Oh. <clears throat> I was talking to Amor the other week. And Amor goes to like, you know, him and his wife, they go to like different churches every once in a while. Like they went to a Mennonite church and it was like this Baptist church and stuff like that. And they just go to pray with the people, just go they like the community and stuff like that. And he was, he was saying, he was, he was kind of complaining and bitching in the Amor way that he does, which is very kind and very loving and very, you know, soft, but still bitching. But he was just like, he went to church and they all sat and they had this, this, this great meeting and they did a prayer. And then there was like a song and everybody's like, oh, it was really spirited. And then the pastor gets up and he's like, okay, now let's turn to Ezekiel Old Testament. And Amor's just like, Jesus, man. Did, didn't we already deal with that? We got a new one. You guys know that, right? So the whole reason that Jews hate Christ and hate Christianity and therefore hate you is because their Messiah showed up and they rejected him. And they've been rejecting him till this day. Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered and said unto them, Thou sayest it. This is Jesus being, this is Jesus doing once again, being an absolute rebel, trickster, and straight up badass. He has all of the all of the the whole council, the elders, the all the scribes, they all came together and they're like, This guy's guilty. He broke the Jewish law. And then they brought all him, all of his quote unquote people that he was calling out, they brought him up to the generals. Right? The Roman army and Pilate. And he goes right up to him and he does this. That's what he does. That's what he's doing. 
Oh, are thou king of the Jews? You answer me, Jesus. You sayest it. If you say so, bro. That's what he's saying. A total badass. Total badass. And the chief priest accused him of many things. Oh, this whole crowd. Ah, he's doing, he's the bad man. He's doing the bad things. And he said nothing. Nothing. <laughs> so uh, before we get on, actually, I'll come back to that. I'll finish this. Pilate asked him again, answerest thou nothing? He, he said nothing. He said, well, Pilate asked him again saying, answerest thou nothing? You're not going to say anything? Behold, how many things these witnesses against thee. Look at all of these liars around me. They're all lying. And they're saying they're accusing you of things you didn't do. But Jesus yet answered nothing. So Pilate marveled. He was marveled at the, the, the gusto, the gumption, the strength, the fortitude. The, Jesus is standing up in front of everybody, knowing in his heart that he is the sinless being that he is, and he's getting accused, and he gives two shakes about it. He's going to sit there and be like, no, I'm not saying anything to you. You don't deserve it. We'll get back into that in just a second. We're going to do some math today. And Pilate asked him, this is Mark 15, 2. And Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered and said unto them, Thou sayest it. This is the gematria of that verse. Okay? And Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answering said unto them, Thou sayest it. That equals 336. What's 336, Marty? Who cares? 336 is a, is a, is a reference to a calendrical number. It's a calendrical number. And it's actually 12 lunar months. So a lunar month is often calculated. There's different ways to calculate it. But traditionally, everywhere from the, the Celts, the, the Chinese, the Druids, they used a 13-month lunar calendar at 28 days. So 13 times 28 is 364. Well, 12 months of that calendar would be 336. So 12 times 28 is 336. Okay? Why do we know it's 12? Look at the number of letters in this. And Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered, said unto them, Thou sayest it. How many letters in that phrase? 78. 78. I don't, want, I don't want anybody to get lost here, but 78 letters. Do you know what 78 is? It's the 12th triangular number. Adding 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. 12 equals 78. And that is a 12-month lunar calendar. 336. This is exactly the same thing that's being encoded with Jesus and his disciples. Add Jesus into those, those 12 months, 13 months, and what do you get? You get 364. So in other words, Jesus' disciples form a calendar, and it's based on the exact same thing. Lunar cycle. Does everybody get that? That's actually, by the way, um, we'll be covering this when I do a, a video on chess, which I, I need to redo. This, this number, actually these numbers, are encoded in the game of chess. So not only are these numbers, calendrical numbers to help us map and track the moon, are encoded in Jesus and his disciples, but they're also encoded in the game of chess. And I'll show you that. Literally the exact same numbers. So let's look at Mark 15 too. Let's take the vowels away. Okay? Looking at consonants and vowels. What is this? Gematria total of that. So let's go back here. There's the verse. It's 336. That's a lunar calendar. Let's look at the let's look at the consonants. The consonants equal 227. 227. Do you know what 227 is? Well, 22 divided by 7 is pi. There's that. 20, 227 is a prime number. So the consonants equal 227. 227 is a prime number. It's the 49th prime. 
227 is the 49th prime. Why is that important? Because 49 is 7 squared. This whole cipher is based on the number 7. The Last Supper encodes the mathematics of the cipher. cipher encodes a lunar calendar. The same math encodes the basics of a lunar calendar. Then you take away the vowels and the consonants encode pi, the 49th triangular or the 49th prime number, excuse me, and 49 is 7 squared. What is 7? Pi line 2. Line 2 of Mark 15. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. You're going to say nothing? And Jesus answered nothing. What was Jesus doing? Essentially, they were reading him, as I said before, essentially they were reading him his Miranda rights. They're like, it's like you have the right to remain silent. Why did Jesus remain silent? Because he knows that anything that he said can and will be used against him. Not, oh, we... Anything you say, we're going to use that to find the ultimate truth about whether you're innocent or guilty. Is that what our government does? Read it. No, that's not what it does. When you're arrested, we say, you better shut up because, number one, if you say anything that you're basically claiming that you're in their jurisdiction, which you're not, you're in God's jurisdiction, which we'll see in just a second. But it says you have the right to, right to remain silent. Anything you can say, anything you say can, and this is the big one, will be used against you. In other words, Jesus knew he was in God's law the entire time and he knew that man's law will always and forever go corrupt. And that's exactly what we have in our world today. A perfect example across the board, nation after nation, country after country, governor after governor, President, prime minister after whatever, from Trudeau to Biden down here, all the way to China and wherever. They're all corrupt as hell. Why? Because they don't follow God's laws and they follow man's laws. And what are we doing? We're following their laws. And what are we supposed to be doing? Following God's laws. Jesus was not following their laws. He knew that their laws were a legal fiction. <clears throat> Literally was like, well, is it legal? Okay, is it legal? So just tell me what the definition of legal is. A corporation is legal, but not a real person. Of or relating to law. Having a formal status derived from law, often without a basis and actual fact. <laughs> so, well, is that legal? Is it legal to smoke marijuana? I don't know, some stupid assholes that don't give a shit about God wrote a bunch of stuff down, and then if you do it, you're put into a cage. And the entire thing, top to bottom, left to right, up, down, left, right, center, it doesn't matter. The entire thing is literally without a basis and actual fact. Jesus knew this. Jesus was trying to teach us this. We are not listening. This, we covered this in the Easter lecture. This is the God's jurisdiction, right? So we have all of these, <laughs> you know, uh, legal legal fictions, little co-centric circles of legal fictions that constantly entrap us and rapture us and prison us. We got the state, we got the county, we got the U.S., we got the U.S. corporation, we got the city, we got the local, we got our HOA over here, we got our taxes, we got the IRS, all of these things trying to ensnare and entrap you. Jesus knew all about it. And he was like, I know the truth. The truth is this. 
The truth is there's the Lord that's in here and the God above. And that's it. God above is the totality. He runs everything. He owns everything. He makes the sun rise and the sun set and the moon makes its change its phases and makes you go from baby to adult back down to, you know, you know, old crotchety, decrepit little man. God is in control of all of that. There are only his laws. We either follow them or we don't. We either follow God's laws or we follow in line with the men who follow what? Father time. God's in control of everything. He runs everything. He owns everything. He created everything. He could take everything away. And he put himself within you. And that's that little dot right there. And this is what Jesus understood. And this is why Jesus said jack all to those men who were following what? Well, they weren't following God. They were literally antichrists. <clears throat> now at the feast, Mark 15, 6, now at the feast, he released unto them one prisoner, whomsoever they desired. So at this, there's this classic uh, ritual um, that happens um, during Passover where they would release one prisoner, right? It was just like, there's like, oh, they were, they were just being so nice. They were releasing one prisoner, right? And so like, okay, well, we're going to release a prisoner. Who do you desire? We're going to release Jesus. And they're like, no, don't release Jesus. This is what they're saying. So, and there was one named Barabbas which lay bound with them, excuse me, that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. So they were going to release, they need to release one guy, one prisoner. And there was this one guy named Barabbas, and he was hanging with, all, with Jesus and all of these other insurrectionists. Insurrectionists, that's what, that's what they are. So what, what is Barabbas? Barabbas, we don't really know anything about this guy. He's a figure mentioned in the New Testament. He was an insurrectionist, insurrectionist held by the Roman governor. Um, and his name apparently was called Jesus Barabbas. And he was the son of the father or the son of the teacher. Okay, this is all we know about this guy. The name Barabbas is, we have his name. That's essentially it. He was insurrectionist. It means he was the son of the father, the son of the teacher. Indicating perhaps that his father was a Jewish leader. In other words, who was the, who was the leader of Barabbas? He was with G Jesus. Barabbas is literally called Jesus Barabbas. He was not following the corrupt Roman law or men's laws, legal fictions. He wasn't following Jewish law that was written down by some scribes in the old Torah. He wasn't doing any of that. He was following the law that's not written in the letter. It's in the spirit. He was following God's law. And the corrupt ass government came along and be like, we need to lock these people up. We should probably crucify them. They're insurrectionists. I'm, I'm sure the government was telling the truth about Jesus and Barabbas and the insurrections. I'm sure the government was not lying at all. I'm sure they weren't corrupt through and through and were probably child trafficking back in the day. I'm sure they weren't doing any of this stuff. What was actually going on? Do you think Barabbas was actually a bad dude? No. Obviously, the governments were completely corrupt at the time, and they, you know, they bound and arrested these people. I'm sure back in the day, you know, like when, you know, all of these insurrectionists were, you know, they were pro they probably had the secret service being like opening the doors for them. Like, you guys want to go in? You guys want to go, you know? <laughs> um, insurrectionists. You know, like, I mean, you know, it was like those, like, uh, was it the, 
small fringe group with unacceptable views up in Canada. You mean like those insurrectionists, like the trucker convoy, like the like the four guys at Coots. You mean those insurrectionists, like like the. Why would why would, reading this? Obviously, you see that who was Barabbas? Barabbas was on the good side. That's what was happening. So the government, what they're doing, what they're exemplifying in these these uh, these verses here is, number one, how completely corrupt Judaism is and how completely corrupt man's laws are. Four, five, six lines are establishing this. Here's another one that just came out, the, the, FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Now, anybody that's essentially right-wing, like if you wave one of those flags, like, don't tread on me, you know, <laughs> which is like part of our history, uh, you're now a, a potential terrorist. We also know that any conspiracy theorists are potential terrorists. God, it seems like, once again, it seems like the exact same things that were happening when this was written are happening today. It's because they are. By the way, so this is the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, uh, domestic terrorist symbols guy. These are the symbols that you need to watch out for domestic terrorists because they're white supremacists and they're trying to... Or the scribes are in charge of our country. And actually, you're remiss if you do not, if you're, if you believe in God, you love humanity and care about your family, your future, your children, this country, if you care about anything, you're remiss and you're irresponsible for not calling this shit out. FBI, Federal, Federal Bureau of Investigation, this is the militia. They're, they're calling out the militia. Code of Federal Regulations, Federal Code of Federal Regulations. Federal, you know, Code of Federal Regulations. U.S. Code, uh, it's like 246. It actually, composition, class. they actually have classes and like terms for people. In other words, let me say this. The classes of the militia in the United States, according to federal code, are this. Two classes of militia. Ready? Number one, the organized militia, which consists of the National Guard and the Navy militia. And number two, the unorganized militia which consists of, this is federal code. The unorganized militia, which consists of the members of the militia who are not members of the National Guard or Navy militia. The militia of the United States consists of all able-bodied men, 17 years of age and um, under 45. In other words, are you above 17 or under 45? Guess what? You're part of the unorganized militia by law in the United States. So, so apparently these guys, they were like, oh, we got to get those insurrectionists. We got to get those patriots. We got to get those people that love their country. And that's what was going on in Jesus's time. Once again, what is the point of this book? Unless we can, unless we can relate it to our experience, it's no good. It doesn't mean anything. That's what makes a book good is if you can relate what's happening in this to your experience. They're timeless tales. Whoever wrote this, whoever wrote these stories, whoever can, whoever crafted our language knew exactly what they were doing. They, they do to a T, they knew exactly what they were doing. And the multitude, Barabbas, and the multitude, so uh, there was one named Barabbas, lay bound with him in the insurrection, and the multitude crying aloud began to desire him to do as he had ever done unto them. But Pilate answered them saying, will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Do you want me to release Jesus? For he knew, Pilate knew, that um, he delivered 
that the Jews, the whole council, delivered Jesus for envy. Which by, oh, one other thing quick, I forgot this one. Do you think that the people that drafted this thing, the, what's it called? <clears throat> the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights, do you think they would be considered insurrectionists by our current scribey government? So, um, they all brought Jesus to Pilate, and he knew that they brought him because of envy. That's what it says. What is envy? Pontius knew, in other words, that Jesus was innocent. There was no proof. They were all just making a bunch of accusations. We already read before that none of the accusations of the witnesses lined up. So Pilate already knows this. So Pontius knew that Jesus was innocent. So what's the lesson? We just covered it. That man's laws will always lead to corruption. Every time mankind comes along, gets a little piece of paper and writes some down, and this is how it is, corrupt. Corrupt. Because there is only God's laws. And those laws are based on morality in your heart. You either follow them or you get your shit gone. That's how it works down here. Man's laws will always lead to corruption. God's laws are incorruptible. Envy is a feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. So all of these scribes, the whole council, they were all got together and they were all envious. Sin, envy is a sin. <laughs> they were all sinners. They were discontented because they saw Jesus and they knew he was right. He, they knew that he possessed the divine. They knew that he had that quality. And they were envious of it. They hated it. So what did they do? They got the, oh wait, this is, <laughs> that was the wrong one. <laughs> that's, that's all right though. Uh, let's talk about this one. What did they do? They got the mob. <laughs> they got the mob to be like, God, get it, crucify him, as we'll see in just a second. If you, ever want, if you ever want proof that man's laws are corrupt, just look at the kangaroo court that just happened with Mr. Alex Jones. <laughs> this is the judge. Do you think she's a little bit biased? Stay at home. Get your vaccine. Support Ukraine. Love gay people. Like physically love them or something? Anyway, I don't know. Clearly, does this have anything to do with God's? Does that woman right there have anything to do with God's laws? No. No. That woman is a deranged lunatic who's on a power trip that makes way too much freaking money. That she should be a barista. So that's what will always happen to man's laws. The laws are unwritten. And, they, and God tells you that in your heart. Every day. So what did what did they do? Um, so so Pilate's like, hey, should I release? And they're like, no, let's get Jesus, Jesus. And Pilate answered and said unto them, what will ye that I shall do unto him who, whom ye call king of the Jews? What do you want me to do to this guy? I was going to release Barabbas, but I'm listening to the crowd now. Wait, wasn't, isn't there supposed to be like a court system and like, you know, laws and rules and like there's a, what, what happened to all of that? Ah, let's just throw it out the window. Nah, crucify this guy. What, what happened to all the laws and the legalities? It ah, doesn't matter. The crowd, the crowd decided that they wanted to crucify him. And this is what we talked about before when we said it's the mob rules. Oh, I got to get this. Just my Lord. Give me this. Hold on. Just so I can do this. The mob rules. If you listen to fools, the mob rules. That's that's literally what's happening in our world. The mob is ruling. Socialism. 
essentially communism. Ruled at the top, rule of law is gone, you know, oh, you got to wear the mask at work, OSHA's gone, you know, all of this other stuff, it's all gone. What's, what's ruling now? The mob. Literally the mafia, a theological mafia that's, that's ruling all of these countries, is like, oh, now there's a climate issue. Let's push that out to all the, the, the people. It's literally a mob, a mafia in that sort of sense. And that mafia is running the mob of the quote-unquote NPCs, the people. Basically, we just call them the godless because they're the people that don't understand and believe in God, understand that there's God. Forget about beliefs, <laughs> okay? They got the mob to do the dirty work. So what, what, do, you, what do you want to do with him? They cried out again, crucify him, put him on a cross. And Pilate said unto them, once again, admitting that he's innocent. Why? What evil hath he done? And they cried out more the exceedingly, crucify him. Crucify him. And so Pilate, comma, willing to content the people, comma, wait a second. Wait a second. We <laughs> So we have this thing. It's, it's almost like that's going on today, too. It's like we have this thing, and it's called, in at least the, the uh, good old U.S. of A. here, we have this little thing that I reprinted because I like it so much, and I read it, and I enjoy it, and I studied it, and I think it's pretty, pretty, it's pretty swell. It's a little thing called the Constitution. It's the con Constitution. So we have all these laws, all these things that are scripted down that are supposed to protect us, and what happens as soon as there's an emergency? What happens when the mafia wants to come along and say, well, forget about those. Doesn't mean shit. Nothing. And this is literally a, law, a case law to prove this. This is case law right now that you're reading. This is case law that you're reading right now to show that guess what happens in those court systems? This kind of nonsense. Okay? So... <clears throat> Willing to contend to the people. He's like, yeah, let's kill him. Throw him on the cross. And the soldiers led him. Now listen to this. The soldiers led him away into the hall, comma, called Praetorium. Semicolon. Okay. So out of all this information, why in the world would we need to know that the hall is called the Praetorium? Of all this information that we're given, like we don't even know who Jesus is or uh, Barabbas. We don't know what country he's from or like did he talk with Jesus? Were they pals? Were they chums? Did they like pen pals? Did they, you know, was, was, how did he kill the person when he killed him during the insurrection? Was it like an old like AR-15? What, what, what happened? We don't know anything. But all of a sudden in this verse, well, all of a sudden like they led this, him into a hall and then the Bible wants you to know that it's called the Praetorium. Okay, and the soldiers led him away into the hall, called Praetorium, semicolon, and they called together the whole band. Now, I'm going to cover this, and you'll see why in just a second. I'm going to just a little bit sidetracked, but right now we're going to go right into the brain, and you'll see why as we keep reading, okay? What is this Praetorium? A Praetorium is an ancient Roman general's tent in a camp. It's a tent. And what is a tent made of? A, like a thin layer of canvas, right? That's what a tent made of, essentially. Um, it's a council of war held in such a tent. So it's a Roman general's tent. And this is the praetorium. The word praetorium actually comes from the Roman uh, castrum. So the Latin praetorium originally identified the tent of a general with a Roman castrum. So this praetorium is directly related to this thing called a Roman castrum. 
It's an encampment, and it's derived from the title praetor. Praetor meaning leader, Latin word castrum. So we have this castrum, and we have praetorium. Okay, now, where, where are we right now? Where are we right now? Are we 2,000 years ago? Is that what this is happening right now? No, this is happening in here and now, right here and now. That's when this is happening. That's when this is happening. That's what's going on right now. So, what do we relate these things to? Well, we, we've related them to mainly two things. What are those two things? Well, if we follow our hermeneutic study, if we're, if we're um, genuine with our esoteric knowledge, we understand that this story has to have a capitulate, it has to have a reflection above and below. It has to have one in the stars and one within here. And we're going to see that this is, where, this is where this whole thing is happening, right in here. As we're going to see, moving forward, Jesus is died um, in Golgotha. And it, we'll read it in just a bit here. So Jesus died in Golgotha. And then the Bible literally tells you that Golgotha means skull. Right out of nowhere. We'll see it in just a bit here. So we're in this story. We think there's like a general, there's a pilot, and some Jews, and the whole council, and Jesus, and Barabbas, and insurrectionists. And next thing you know, the Bible out of nowhere is like, and this all happened in the skull. Okay, so let's go back. At the Praetorium, that's where they took him. It's a general's tent. Okay, and then we look and it's the castrum. Okay, the castrum, that's what this tent is called. Well, this is your claustrum. And this claustrum means to close or to shut. Of course, what do you do when you enter in a tent? You close, close, shut the tent. What does a tent do? It encloses and shuts in things that are in as opposed to out. Okay, like I said, we'll see this in just a second. The claustrum, castrum, claustrum, praetorium, claustrum, castrum, claustrum, the claustrum is a thin, irregular sheet. It's a thin, the claustrum is a thin, irregular sheet. You mean like a tent fabric? Like a thin tent fabric sheet? Its function is enigmatic. This actually comes from Frank's, uh, no, Francis C. Crick, by the way. You guys know Francis C. Crick? Apparently one of the guys that actually helped discover DNA while he was on LSD. I don't know. Fishy story to me, but whatever. Um, so the claustrum. Its anatomy is quite remarkable in that it receives input from all, almost all the regions of the cortex. This is the thing that we know when you look at brain scans and you can see. So the anatomy of the, <clears throat> the claustrum is quite remarkable in that it receives input from almost all the regions of the cortex and then projects that back to almost all the regions of the cortex. So this thin sheet, this tent-like canvas structure called the claustrum, the claustrum, the claustrum, receives information and then sends it back to the regions of the cortex. Okay? And this is where, that's the claustrum right there. It's a thin sheet, almost like a tent canvas. It's a thin sheet right there. And what it does is you get these, you know, the inputs that go in, receives them all and then sends them back out. And that's, once again, that's exactly what it does. It receives input from all regions of the cortex and projects it back out. And what did, what did this verse just say? And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium and they called together the whole band. They brought everybody together. So in other words, the very thing this Praetorium or this Castrum or this Claustrum does that very thing. It brings all of the inputs together in the head. That's literally its function. He said, well, that's a stretch. That's a stretch. Just wait, okay? You we're going to see that this whole thing has to do with the skull. 
we're made in the image of God. It should, right? We're also going to see that just as we've talked about before, that all this stuff is happening upstairs and it's happening in inside here. Okay? Why do we know that this is the case that we're dealing with the skull here? Because if we've been paying attention to the last 14 chapters, all of it, how many times have we, how many times have I used this graphic? What every time? It's all about arise, arose, Aries, ram, the lamb, adding up to the head. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the lamb, the sacrificial lamb. So in the zodiac man, the anthropocosm, what is Jesus? He's the ram, he's the lamb, he's the top of the head. So save for any deconstructing of verses here, we know just in the Zodiac Man that this is where this is happening. Okay, now, I don't know if I've covered this before. I think I have, but we'll cover it again because it's it's important here. And we'll get to the, you know, back to the brain in um, a second. Uh, where am I? Sorry, losing my place. Why is Aries, why is it the ram? Why is this, why is the head called the ram, the lamb? Okay, number one, in the zodiac, that's the house in which the sun rises. Okay, when you're in your stationary tropical zodiac, and we'll get into tropical and sidereal, like, that's another conversation. But in your tropical zodiac, Aries is where the sun always rises. And that's where the sun is rising, up into here. Okay, but the, the head also has the ram's horns in it. Okay, so one of the most obvious reasons we see a ram or a lamb, the Aries, Christ, being associated esoterically with the human head is to be found in the organ of the hippocampus. The, or, the hippocampus is right about here, right? The hippocampus is an organ with the, within the limbic system whose shape resembles that of a seahorse. But if you could see, it's actually in the, you know, the, it's a hippocampus, so they call it the seahorse, but it's literally, if you look, it's like ram's horns, in, ram's horns in your head. And this has actually been stylized or whatever in art and architecture and things. So um, the hippocampus is an organ within the limbic system whose shape resembles that of a seahorse. The main function of the hippocampus is basically memory storage, uh, essentially is what they say. There are numerous figures that show, they're shown with such horns, including the Egyptian god of Amun-Ra, the Roman god Jupiter or Zeus, the Greek god Amun, and even an old Greek coin with Alexander the Great shows a symbolic reference to the ram's horns. The names Amun and Amun are clearly in direct references to a contemporary word, Amen. So every time you say Amun, it's Amun-Ra. And that is what? The Ram, the Aries. Okay? So when you go and, you know, shown across the world, really. So basically that, you know, mimics the ram's horns in your head. So there's, you know, there's reasons why they're doing this. Okay? We'll get back to all that in just a second. So now they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! They began to salute him. <clears throat> and what, what, what were they doing? They were mocking him. That's what they were doing. What's the next line? And they smote him on the head. It's the next line. So we're literally just talking about, they just told you, they gave you a clue in the, in the scripture that says, hey, we're just gonna we're just going to plop this in your hand. Praetorium. Why? Why do you need to know that? You don't. It has nothing to do in the, in the literal like literalist version of this story that has nothing to do with anything who cares they could have just said i went to a hall and that would have been just fine but no they didn't they said and this hall was called something praetorium why because they want you to look up your etymology they want you to find these word these uh word correlations okay 
And then the next thing they do is they tell you. So they're like, by the way, we're just about to see that this happens, as you can see in there, in the place of the skull, Golgotha. They're literally talking about your head. Ares, ram, lamb, arise, rose, head, the ram's horns, the praetorium, the, clou the claustrum. And then they're saying, then the next line is they smote him on the head <laughs> with a reed. With a reed, um, which there's references. To, the reed is a, it's like a... A, a, what do you call it? like a staff or a stalk of wheat, something like that. But a reed is also a measuring tool. So it has two different references here. So here they're basically using the measuring tool. They're like, they're smacking them with a measuring tool. By the way, doesn't this sound a lot like what happened to, uh, if you guys watched the Lost Masonic Word Lecture, the Hiram Abiff, the Hiram Abiff. Remember what happened to him? They smacked him on the head. <laughs> and what happened? Died. And then what happened? He rose again. And he was the high ram. And they, um, so they, they smacked him on the head with a reed. Um, I'll just read this. And, and then, uh, and he did, and did spit upon him. They spit on Jesus, smacked him with the reed, bowing their knees and were, they're mocking him. Smacking him on the head, spitting on him, bowing their knees. Oh, look at you, king of the Jews. All of these Jews and, you know, lost souls are mocking the son of God. They smacked him on the head with a reed. I just want to mention this. This I'm just going to put this in your head for a little bloop, bloop, bloop. Uh, what is the biblical definition of a reed? It's an ancient Hebrew unit of length equal to six cubits. Six cubits. That's how long a reed is. Well, one cubit is what? It's 18 inches. So six cubits would be 108. An ancient Hebrew unit of length of equal to six cubits, which is a reed. A cubit is 18 inches. Six, time, six times 18 is 108. I'm just going to mention that here for those of you that know anything about the number 108, that know anything it's a relationship to uh, geometry or the Fibonacci sequence, the Holy 108. I've covered that in the books. I just want to mention here, this is how how crafty these people are. They're, they're literally hitting Jesus on the head with a reed, and that is encoded information. So there's that. So there's that. By the way... They're hitting him with a reed, and the reed is based on, and we'll see this again. We'll see this again. The reed is based on the cubit. Six of them, a cubit. What is the cubit based on? The cubit is based on the length of your arm. It's from your elbow here to your middle finger is, was the measurement of the cubit, and it's, a, it's about 18 inches, generally what it, you know, what it was understood to be. So right there, there there's a mention of the arm, Pay attention. There's a there's a mention of the arm. Arm is an anagram for ram, isn't it? We'll revisit that. Okay. So, and when they mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. Mark 15, 20. So, why did they put purple on him? <clears throat> what is purple? Purple is the, the... It's a color that's related to, you know being royal, right? And then, of course, there's like this historical thing, like there's this historical explanation, like why purple is considered a number of royal because they got the purple dye from shellfish and something, and I'm sure that's true or whatever, that's fine, but why else is purple considered a color of royal? Why are they dressing in purple? Oh, you're king! And then they took it off because like, you're not king. We don't think you're king at all. We don't care about truth and the life and the way and salvation and eternal life. We don't give a shit about that. I gotta make... I got to make 30 shillings. I got to get 30 pieces of silver over here. So why is purple royal? Because it's the combination of red and blue. 
Why is that important, Marty? Because red and blue is your is your light spectrum. It's the entirety of it's basically all the visible light that you can see is on a spectrum of you know, and it's your RGB spectrum, right? Green is in the middle, red is on the one end, and blue is on the other end. And that's your, you know, your, what do you call it? your waves or whatever, right? So red and blue, just like on a cop car, why do you think they have red and blue? Because it represents the entire light spectrum. But beyond that, what is it? What does red and blue also represent? This is all from one color, by the way. What does it also represent? The outflowing and inflowing uh, blood in your heart, in your veins, as we'd say. It's almost always um, sketched out as red and blue, oxygenated and deoxygenated blood, essentially, right? Why also? Why is that important that red and blue is referenced to the heart? Because it's the sacred heart of Jesus. I lost my graphic here. It's the sacred heart of Jesus. We've seen countless illustrations, as I bring this up, of Jesus and um, Mary, and they're blessed. Look at this. Again and again and again and again and again. Countless examples of Jesus. Look, red and blue. He's even wearing red and blue most of the time. See that? The lower right-hand corner, Jesus and Mary there, both pointing to the heart. They're like, hey, this is where it's at, guys. And it's all red and blue. Okay? Why also is this important? What does red and blue represent? Once again, red and blue making purple. Purple meaning royalty. We're not talking about like the the. We're not talking about like the the British royalty or something like that. We're not talking about like those kings and queens. We're talking about spiritual royalty. I don't give a crap about you know Queen Elizabeth the forty second or who cares. We're talking about spiritual royalty. Why is red and blue? What does it also reference besides the heart? Besides the light spectrum, it also references baptism by water. Blue. Baptism by fire, red. And this is the <clears throat> this is baptism by water and baptism by fire. Do you guys remember during the pandemic? They would take children to the Catholic churches and the Catholic guy or whatever would have a mask on and then he would be baptizing with a gun. You should be you should have your um, certificate of ministerial ship or whatever removed, revoked. Right? That's his anyway, I don't want to get in it. But then somebody on Reddit made a meme. That was pretty funny. But Baptism by water, baptism by fire. This is what this symbol means too. Oh my God, where am I? Where I'm losing all these. This is what this symbol means too. It is the classic symbol of uh, of the very people that we're talking about. Of course. Wait, what am I? Uh, where am I? Sorry, sorry. Hang with me. Uh, there it is. There it is. This is the classic symbol of the people. Now, this isn't just a, a, a symbol of Judaism. They actually use this in Hinduism and like, I think Sikhism uses this. It's geometry. That's what that's what that Star of David is, the Seal of Solomon. It's geometry. They're just, you know, people associated mainly to Judaism. No, 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 no. That's geometry. That is a representation in one sense of the color purple. Why? Fire going up. Baptism by water going down. That's what the water sign is. And baptism by fire going up. Water, fire. Baptism by water, baptism by fire. What's the first thing that happened in Genesis? There was waters, right? Waters everywhere. And then what emerged from those waters? The light of what? Christ. So pretty interesting there. So all of that stuff. The baptism by water, baptism by fire, the heart, the sacred heart of Jesus, the red and blue light spectrum, all of those things combine to be the purple, to be the the royalty, essentially. Okay, 
So, um, so they mocked him, spit on him, bashed him with the reed, and they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by by coming out of the country. This guy, he passed by by coming out of the country. What's happening here if we're talking about the canopy of the stars above? Coming out of the country. This is the, this is the, a light, whether it's a planet, a light, whatever it is, ascending from the material plane of earth, ascending up. It's passed by coming out of the country. The father of Alexander and Rufus to bear his cross. So they compelled this one guy, Simon. Now, Simon is a Syrian. A Syrian? Um, number one, we've talked about Simon. Simon Peter is a reference to your psyche. Psi is literally the Greek symbol psi. Represents the discipline of psychology. What is psychology? It's mental essence. That's really what it is. The root and the origin of the word is psychologia. The root, psyche, life, soul. Okay, so it's talking about your head. Once again, what are we talking about? Aries, the lamb, the ram. We've talked about the claustrum. We're about to talk about going to Golgotha, which is the skull. We're in the head. Then he mentions Simon, which is literally psyche. Okay? Um, then it says this. It says this. They compel one Simon, Simon, the Simon, the head, a Serenian. We'll get to that in just a second. Coming out, he was the father of Alex. Once again, why are we given this information? Who gives a hoot? Who Simon the Serenian, why, why he, the children that he fathered? Why do we need to know that? We don't in any literal context of the story. It doesn't add anything to the story, but it does if you read it metaphysically, mystically. So who is Alexander and Rufus? So Alexander and Rufus are... The name Alexander originates from Greek. It means defending men. To ward off, avert, defend, to warrior, battle prowess. That's a name that means battle prowess. So here we have Alexander. So here we have Simon, Cyrenian, and he's the father of this guy over here named Alexander and this other guy named Rufus. Now, what is Rufus? Rufus in biblical name means red. That's what it means. Red. So here we have two. This guy was a father, Simon, Psyche, and he fathered what? A guy that was uh, defending men. He was a battle prowess. He was a, a warrior. He was there to ward off, avert, and defend. So he was a warrior and he was red. <clears throat> That's Mars. Serene means powerful one of high social standing. Actually comes from the word kyrios, which is actually kyrios Jesus Christos, means Lord, Right? So, Kyros, Kyrios is Lord. Kyros is uh, social clout. Powerful one. A powerful one, a warrior, a defender, and he's red. Well, what is the ruling planet of the ram, the head, the lamb? What is the ruling planet? It's Mars. It's Mars. That's the ruling. So, where are we? We're in the ram, the lamb. That's what we just talked about. We're, we have already been to the claustrum. And now we see that this guy comes along and he's to take Jesus. And who is it? Well, we're up in the canopy of the stars again. It's Mars. Alexander, warrior. Rufus, red. What is the warring planet? What color is it? What house does it belong to? Aries.
And that's what Mars actually looks like. <laughs> Not your all NASA-fied imaging. Um, all right. Uh, how are we doing here? I'm going to stop here. Yeah, you can just kick Bill France out if he's if he's being naughty. That's fine. The door of this church and this order is closed to those who are not going to respect what's going on here. I just want to mention that. Little intermission here. Not to get feisty or anything. But um, I dedicate my life to this. It's That's all I've done for the last 15 years or something like that. Um, I'm a teacher. I'm a preacher. Um, we take what we do very seriously here. We, we have an order. It's a church. It's an academy. We have a textbook. We have Bibles. I am not just some random YouTuber on here that's just talking nonsense. I, I, spent, I spend a lot of time on this. I, like I said, I've dedicated my life to it. If there, and for all you that do, most of you that have a blue wrench there, if there are people that come in here that disrespect you or this, this order, this church, feel free to kick them out and just tell them, do not let the door hit you on the ass on the way out. Okay? We want to be nice. We want to be respectful about it. But the people that show up and are in these you know, proverbial pews, they're going to respect what's going on here. They're going to appreciate it. Okay. And that's, that's all I, that's all I really demand of anybody. You don't even have to pay for this service. You can just show up every Sunday or come to this channel and you get all of this information, all of my years of toil and hard work for absolutely free. And if anybody has any problem with that whatsoever, all of you are free to kick them out because they do not have the eyes to see or the ears to hear. Okay. God bless. Okay. So, like I said, where are we? We're in the skull. We already know that, okay? We're in the skull. That's where we are. Now, let's go back here. So we've seen Simon, a Serenian, powerful one. He's the head. He's the Simon. He's the psychology. His sons are the warrior that's red. <laughs> Ares, Ram, all up here. And he's going to bear his cross. He's going to bear his cross, just like we have to do. Mark 15, 22 says this. And then they're just blatant about it. They're just straight up blatant about it. They're, they're not even mixing this up in like some esoteric deep language. The Bible is just going to come straight out and tell you where all of this is happening right now. And they bring him onto this place called Golgotha, which is, comma, being interpreted, comma, the place of the skull. Okay, well, we know where we are. They didn't mince words at all. The Bible just was like, hey, guess what? All of this story right now, it's happening inside. It's, it's happening metaphysically within you. Mark 15, 23 says this. I'm going to ask you guys why, why Jesus rejected the myrrh. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. Jesus is like, no, I don't want that wine. I don't need the myrrh. I don't need that. I reject it. Why did Jesus reject that? They were... You know, they're picking them up and they're like, hey, you know, we're, we're trying to care for you a little bit here, right? You know? <sighs> um, well, why? Because myrrh was used as an anointing or embalming oil. In the Bible, myrrh was used in anointing or an embalming oil. Hence why they brought frankincense, gold, and myrrh. One of the things is, oh, the gold, he's the golden light of truth. What's the myrrh? He was about to be anointed. That's what they were doing. These are the gifts. The Magi, right? So why didn't why did Jesus like no? Don't give me the wine and myrrh. Because Jesus was already anointed. We already went through that. Remember the woman that was there 
And then it's like, hey, from now on, we're going to honor her as much as because she came and she anointed Jesus. Jesus is already through that process. He doesn't need to go back. Okay. That's, oh, did I miss something here? Let me make sure I miss. I'm going to be as Henry David thorough as I can. Yes, okay. Place of the skull, the myrrh. Let's move on. And when they had, cru um, Mark 15, 24. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments. What, what does it mean when they part garments? When you release your garment, that means your physical body is gone. That means that you've elevated yourself in your consciousness to make to help you realize that you are not actually this physical body. The physical body is temporary. God is eternal. You are you are a part of God. So he, when you cast off that garment, you know, oh, this is just temporary. This is just the meat stick that you're putting on. You still have to care for it as your temple, of course. Don't get me wrong. But that's all it is. So you're taking off the garments. Then they parted his garments. Then what did they do? Casting lots upon them, what every man should take. They ca So they took all of his stuff and they're like, oh, we're going to take all of his material possessions. <laughs> you take all those material possessions. And guess what happens when you die? They all go away. Oh, too bad for you. Oh, you thought you were like, oh, we're going to cast lots. We're going to get all of his stuff and run away. Oh, Judas was like, oh, I'm going to get those. Remember, he was like, I'm going to get those 30 pieces of silver. And then, then what happened to him? Yeah, he killed himself. Bad move. You lived for the material, not the spiritual. That's not going to end well. When they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them. What are they doing right now? They're mocking Jesus, smacking him on the head, putting him in robes, mocking him, hating the truth. What is casting lots? This is called cleromancy. It's a form of sortition. It's called casting of lots, in which an outcome is determined by means normally would be considered random, such as a rolling of dice. In fact, a lot of times when they cast lots, you can do different things. You can use like, when casting lots in general, it's like you can use two stones in a cup. There's different ways of doing this, right? Like even like, um, oh, what am I going to say? Dominoes could be a way of casting lots, that sort of thing. But dice, the pair of dice was often used. And in fact, the phrase, the die is cast, comes from casting lots. So the phrase, the die is cast, owes its inception to the ancient art of lot casting. So cleromancy is this idea of rolling dice. The pair of dice is, each die is six sides and it's 360 degrees on each side, and that's 2,160. So one die is 2,160 degrees, which means the pair of dice, the pair of dice would be 4,320. And that's the multiplication of Jesus. Four times five times six times six times six is 4,320. And while they were smacking him on the head and spitting on him and, and draping him with purple robes and stuff like that. One of the last things they did is they rolled dice on his material possessions. And those dice are encoded in Jesus' name. Secret decoder ring theology. Okay. Uh, so, and then there was, so, the, uh, boom. Okay. So they crucified him. They parted his garments. They cast in lots upon him, what every man should take. And it was the third hour that they crucified him. On the third hour. 
We'll see this in just a second. We'll revisit this. And it was the third hour and they crucified him. Mark 15, 26 says, and the superscription of the accusation was written over. So this is especially important. As you can see, the this is what was written above Jesus while he was dying on the cross. And then the Bible, not only they make it extra, they, they, they make it so it's like, hey, this is important. We're going to put this one in all caps. Okay. And the superscription. So obviously the Bible wants you to focus on this. Obviously very important is the point. And the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. In other words, this is what we Jews do to the truth. This is what we Jews do to eternal life. We care not for it. The king of the Jews. How much you want to bet him codes pie? <laughs> okay. In a very simple way. Very simple. In multiple ways, too. Watch this. Now, the king of the Jews equals 79 in English gematria. More math. Yes, it's important. He was a carpenter. The king of the Jews. Gematria totals 79. The, the reduction of 79. 7 plus 9 is 16. 7 plus 9 is 16. And 1 plus 6 is 7. You can even see uh, the number of letters there is 16 as well. So the king of the Jews is 16 letters. The gematria total is 79. 7 plus 9 is 16. And both of those reduce down to what? 7. What is 7 in code? 7 equals 22. And 22 divided by 7 is 3.142. A common and widely used abbreviation approximation of pi. I've said it so many freaking times. It's like, a, anyway. 7 in codes pi. So 16 letters, 79 reduces down to 7. 7 all day long. Okay. The 79 is a prime number. So we see multiple references there to the number 16 and the number 7. Does everybody see that? 16 letters in the King of the Jews. Gematria reduction, 7 plus 9 is 16. 79 is a prime number. It's the 22nd prime. What does 79 reduce down to fully? 7. So in other words, the 22nd prime reduces down to 7. The 22nd prime reduces down to 7. I'll say it one more time. For those of you who can do the basic math, you already know what I'm saying. The 22nd prime reduces down to 7. And 22 divided by 7 is 3.142. But it's not doesn't end just there. The divisors of 79, because it's a prime, a prime is a number divisible by 1 in itself. 79, which means its divisors are 1 and 79. Do you know what that adds to? We can all do the basic math. 80. Do you know what pi is in the Greek system? It's the 16th letter. It's the 16th letter. And its, and its value in Greek is 80. Pi in Greek is the 16th letter and its value equals 80. Everything about the king of the Jews is pi. Number of letters, 16. Reduce it down, 7, pi. The full reduction of it. 7, pi. The, the, the <laughs> gematria total of 79. What's its divisors? 1 and 79. What is that? 80. What is that in Greek? Pi. 80 is the, uh, pi is the 16th letter. What's 1 plus 6? It's 7. What's that? Pi. 
79 is the 22nd prime and it reduces down to seven. What's 22 divided by seven? 3.142, what's that? Pi. All this 16 here, 16 letters, reduces down to 16. The 16th letter of the, English, of the Greek alphabet is pi. The king of the Jews, the king of the Jews, the superscription that was written above, was written as I-N-R-I, which is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. That's what it means. I-N-R-I. In English, that equals 16. Do you know what the Jesus represents? The zodiac. Do you know what the zodiac is? It's 16. Do the math. Do you know what the belt of the zodiac is? It's a 16-degree belt. It's eight degrees above the ecliptic, or the, the I think it's called the ecliptic, right? The ecliptic, the equator. 16, uh, eight degrees above it and eight degrees below, making for a 16 degree belt. 16, 16, 16, 16, 16. Pi, 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 What is the zodiac? What is the zodiac? It's a big representation of a big wheel in the sky that creates pi. There's six constellations that we can see all the time and six we can't. There's, in, in other words, in general, you have six above and six below, which makes what? The, essentially the earth plane, the diameter of the, of the great wheel in the sky. It's a big pie. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. They put truth on a cross and crucified it because they hate it. Why? Because the truth uproots their power. Oh, too bad. Oh, that sucks for the Jews. Oh, oh. Here's the um, Jesus and the two thieves. Well, actually, let me uh, get back here. Make sure I'm staying here. So, and the superscription of, the, uh, of his accusation was written, I-N-R-I, the king of the Jews. And uh, Mark 15, 27, and with them they crucify two thieves, the one on his right hand and the one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. So there was basically what this is saying. I'm just going to go over this brief. In the Old Testament, there's all of these things like, hey, Elijah's got to show up. There's got to be transgressors, blah, 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 blah. And what it's saying is, look, your Old Testament scripture is fulfilled. And now there is a New Testament. So the two transgressors, the two thieves, one on the left, one on the right. Did you guys know? That these thieves have names in uh, the Christian lore or whatever. It's not it's not in the Bible as far as I know, uh, but the Christian lore has names for these guys. The Christian tradition holds that Gestus was on the cross on the left, and Dismas was on the cross on the right. The Jesus was hung I N R I, King of the Jews, right up there. Dismas on the right, Gestus on the left. I think is what it said. Gestus was across on the left, and Dismas was on the right. Well, there's some gematria for you. Gestus equals 32. Jesus equals 27. Christ equals 32, by the way. So there's that. But So Jesus is in the middle, and then on his left is Gestus, and on his right is Dismas. And so, in other words, they're flanking each other. In other words, they're symmetrical. They're like mirrored. So Jesus was in the center, and then he had these two thieves that were mirroring each other. In other words, left and right. 
just like your hands, right? And then we look at the Gematria values and what do you have? A perfect mirror. Gestus equals 32 and Dismas equals 23. It's a mirror. What is Jesus? Ultimately, he's a reflection of the, he, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth, right? What is heaven and earth? It's a reflection. Where are you? You're in between that reflection. As above, so below. This, uh, this is, you know, reminiscent anyway. I'm not saying this is a direct correlation, but definitely reminiscent of your three pillars that you'll find in masonry. A lot of times you won't even, like, you know, sometimes referred to as Yaquin and Boaz with no pillar in the center. Sometimes that's the doorway, actually, of the Solomon's Temple. That's what the actual third pillar is. Sometimes they won't even show a third pillar, Right? You'll just see two pillars. And it's like, well, why are they hiding the third one? They're trying to hide Jesus. No, they're trying to tell you that it's metaphysical. That metaphysical pillar is within you. That's where the third pillar is. So there's your crucifixion. Now let's talk about, since we're talking about Aries, the Ram and everything like that, let's talk about, uh, actually, before we get into that, let me just make sure I'm on track here. I'm sorry. I'm not on track. Let's finish this. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Mark 15, 29. And that they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days. They're, they're, they're mocking him once again. They're passing, they're railing on him. They're like, Ah, you jack wagon, you're an idiot. Man, you're correct. You're all, you're all about the light and the truth. You dumbass. Right? That's what they're doing. Right? And so, and they're saying, then they, they say this. They're passing by. Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days. So this is a reference to the idea that the temple be destroyed and built again in three days. What is this a reference of? We've talked about this before. This is the entire story of Jesus as the son. Okay. Now we've all, um, I mean, this is a clip from Zeitgeist, but it's a pretty good um, representation of this, the story of the son. So let's watch this real quick. There's another very interesting phenomenon that occurs around December 25th or the winter solstice. From the summer solstice to the winter solstice, the days become shorter and colder. And from the perspective of the northern hemisphere, the sun appears to move south and get smaller and more scarce. The shortening of the days and the expiration of the crops when approaching the winter solstice symbolize the process of death to the ancients. It was the death of the sun. And by December 22nd, the sun's demise was fully realized. For the sun, having moved south continually for six months, makes it to its lowest point in the sky. Here a curious thing occurs. The sun stops moving south, at least perceivably, for three days. And during this three-day pause, the sun resides in the vicinity of the Southern Cross, or Crux, constellation. And after this time, on December 25th, the sun moves one degree, this time north, foreshadowing longer days, warmth, and spring. And thus it was said, the sun died on the cross, was dead for three days, only to be resurrected or born again. Okay, everybody knows that general storyline. That is the story of the sun. So, and that's what we're dealing with right now. In one, in one symbolic representation, as we know, Jesus represents everything, but in one symbolic representation, he represents the sun. 
So here, these guys are walking past, and they're mocking him. He's like, oh, he said he's going to destroy the temple and build it again in three days. What is what is it referring to? The metaphysical temple. That you are going to destroy the atavistic, the old self. Everything that's under the heart. You're going to destroy all of that materiality and rebuild a new, a new spiritual temple. An enlivened and awakened and enlightened being. Okay? And this whole process, as we know, is, is marked by the sun. And I'm just going to read this again. This comes from Lord Jesus Christ, but it's a good review. The story of the sun's death and resurrection is a universal story. Let me stop here. Once again, destroying the temple, building it again in three days. Why the three days? That's what we're going to, we're going to uh, focus on here. The story of Jesus' death and resurrection is a universal story about the path of the sun throughout the year. This cycle is ever repeating and thusly is one of the prime markers of a divine intelligence behind our world. The story of the sun in many ways reflects the story of our rites of passage or our hero's journey. Hero's journey consists of three basic stages, separation, liminality, and incorporation. So we may poetically say that the sun separates from its old self in the death of winter to bring a beginning after the solstice. It then makes its long journey around the circle of the year, transitioning in between the spring of new life, peaking in summer, to the coming autumnal fall of death, only then to incorporate and integrate the entire cycle into a transformation to the new year and a new sun is born. The sun dies and is born on the cross. It's a cosmic story that's written above your heads that's literally for every single human being that places his two feet on the cold, hard ground. It's for everybody. It is God's salvation written right above your head. Just as the initiate is to make a journey from darkness to light, so the sun does the same throughout the year. Both the yearly and daily or diurnal story of the sun is one and the same. And is ultimately a story about catabasis or a descent of some type, a trip into the underworld, which is what we're seeing Jesus undergo right now. He's being thrown on the cross. This is the worst thing possibly happened to him. But we all know what happens after that. The sun moves into the underworld of winter, rising anew every spring, and then retreats into the underworld every night, rising anew every morning. Though the cycles are different, the yearly cycle of the sun and the daily cycle of the sun, they're different, but they tell the exact same story. The story remains one and the same. It's death and rebirth. And this is what this is what he's saying. It's like, oh, the, and of course we know what happens. Jesus gets put in the tomb and then three days later he rises. And why? Because that's how it has to happen. Because that's what God has literally inscribed it into the stars. Into the very patterns in which you rise and fall. You go to sleep and wake up because of this. And this is where we see, and we're going to see this. He's dead for three days. And it's in the vicinity of, as, as Mark, uh, what is his name? Peter Joseph, right? Peter Joseph. Um, as he said in there, dead for three days, where basically there's no discernible movement on the horizon. And um, here, I'll just bring this one in here. Um, and you can see. And it's all done by the Southern Cross constellation. And we'll see this in just a second. It's all in the story. And we'll pick apart this astrologically, and then we'll go right back into the head. It's going to be fun. Like I said, a long one. Uh, three days... And then what happens? The temple of earth is built again. The temple of nature. That's, what, that's where you learn from, by the way. That's where we learn from. Once again, 
A Gnostic understands that everything that is within here has to, you have to go out and find it in the real world. Okay? Nature is the outflowing expressions of the laws of God, period. That's why we can look up at the sun and be like, oh, that's his story. That's what he's telling us to do. What do we need to do? We need to die and be reborn. We need to let that temple die and grow the new spiritual temple. This is all happening. So, uh, right there. So, uh, by the Southern Cross. We'll see that in just a second. Okay. Where am I? All right. So, then they're mocking him more. They're saying, Jesus, save thyself and come down from the cross. Mark 15, 31. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes, he saved others himself he cannot save. Look at this. Oh, ho, ho. you saved all these other people. You performed all these miracles and healed people and blah, 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 blah. But you can't even save yourself. Au contraire. You better watch your language. And then they're even mocking more. Let the Christ of the, let, let Christ the King of Israel descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. The people that were aside, they, they hated him because of, you know, all of this. So they're saying, come down from that cross. Well, guess what? The spiritual rebirth isn't a physical birth. It's a spiritual birth. So when Jesus dies and is reborn, is he the physical? No, he's the metaphysical truth. Just the all-embracing, just right in your face, truth beyond truth. You can't ignore, you can't deny, and if you do, it's not going to end well for you. That's what he was going to become. It is, in that sense. So they're just mocking him. It's like, yeah, I see you're not the king of the Jews. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Okay, so Mark 15, 33. When the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And when did this whole thing start? On the third hour, right? So in other words, the only time period that we were given throughout this whole thing is what? It happened in the morning. That's when the first, first line, it says that. So the sun is coming up. And then we know that there's the third hour, the sixth hour, and the ninth hour. Well, we got to do a little math here. Okay, hour, by the way, hours comes from the word Horus. That's a reference to the Son of God. Horus, Ra, Ra, the Ram, the Ra, Egyptian Son of God, Horus, hours, Son, Jesus. So in the third hour, how many minutes in an hour? 60 minutes in one hour. So that means three hours is what? 180 minutes. Okay. Sixth hour would be what? 60 minutes in an hour. How many hours? Six. Six times 60 is what? 360. Okay. And then in the ninth hour, 60 minutes in an hour, and then there's nine hours. So nine times 60 is 540. Those are all your fundamental degrees of geometry. He's a carpenter. Third hour, three times 60 is 180. That's your, that's your first form of what I like to call your embryonic polygon of creation. It's your first geometric form that you can create. 180. What does the sun do every day? It's a 180 degree arc over your head. That's what you experience. You see the sun rise in the morning and set. And what is that? It's a 180 degree arc. Then the sixth hour we have what? Well, 360, which is what? The degrees of the circle and the square. What are we dealing with? Well, if you've been following along, we've been squaring the circle and dealing with circles and squares all day long. They represent heaven and earth. And what is Jesus representing? Heaven and earth. And what does Jesus represent? The Trinity. And then the ninth hour. What is the, what's the Trinity? 
the triangle. Then the ninth hour, 540. 540 degrees is the degrees of the Pentagon. 540 degrees in the Pentagon. What's the Pentagon? The, 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 the perfect star is, well, number one, it's five. It's letters of Jesus. We've talked about the star before. It encodes phi. It encodes phi, which is a design signature of God. All of these things are cryptically input in there. Like, it obviously matters. Was it like right on the third hour and then right at the sixth hour and right at the ninth hour? What is, no, there's, there's encryption here. Why is, so they just mentioned three, six, and nine, right? Third hour, sixth hour, ninth hour. Well, three, six, and nine is also found if you watch the live stream that we did with the syllabus of Jesus. We found the three, six, and nine in Jesus' name. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That entire system right there is encoded in Jesus' name. Three, six, and nine. I don't know if you guys know a guy named Nikola Tesla. He's uh, apparently was some kind of smart dude at one point. Uh, if you only knew the magnificence of the three, six, and nine, then you would have a key to the universe. I would agree with them. Why? Why did the Bible crucify Jesus third, sixth, and ninth hour? They just like things in threes? Or is there a deeper message? There's a deeper message. Okay? Okay, let's keep going. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, and in you know in in just insufferable pain. You know, I don't know if you guys have ever you know, uh, I, I I covered this a long time ago, but if you guys ever look at like what the pain and suffering that a person undergoes when they're crucified, it's insane. I mean, because it's like a it's not that I want to get gruesome here or anything like that, but it's like a slow death. Like you basically, you're up there. I mean, it's like insanely painful because you're awake and they're, you know, that sort of thing. It's, I did this whole little like 10 minute, 15 minute diatribe on it one time and it's crazy. So the reason that they want to crucify him is they want to inflict the most amount of pain on the way the truth and the life is freaking humanly possible. That's how sick these people are. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi. Lama Sabachthani, Sabachthani, I think is how you say that, Sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, this is Jesus crying out, saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Uh, forsaken means abandon. So Jesus is crying out, being like, God, why are you abandoning me right now? Okay, we'll get into that in just a second. Let's once again look at some math that's going on here. Since we just looked at 3, 6, and 9, obviously references to math here. Well, we're going to see the same trinity right here. So he says, um, first thing he says is, Aloy, Aloy, Lama Sabachthani, right? Now, in this chapter, it's actually um, spelled differently in another chapter, but in this chapter, Eloy, Eloy, Lama Sabachthani is 72 in English gematria. Lord Jesus Christ is... 72 in English Gematria. That's pretty cool. That's interesting. So, but that's what it says in, you know, the Eloi, that's Arabic, I guess. I'm not exactly sure. But this is what it means in, in English. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's what he says. The very words coming out of Christ's mouth while he's on the cross, 
king of the Jews written over him. He's screaming, crying out to God, and this is what he says. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Using septenary gematria is 120. Do you know what 120 is? It's a third. It's a third. It's the doctrine of Jesus. The trine. In astrological terms, a trine is three, and it means 120 because it's a third. What did we just deal with? Three, six, and nine. Lord has four letters. Jesus has five letters. And Christ has six letters. Four times five times six is what? 120. Well, that's because we're dealing with the sun on the cross in the stars above. And we're dealing with astrology. You can't even understand the doctrine of Jesus without bringing star study to bear on it. It's impossible. So why is my God... My God, why hast thou forsaken me? 120. Multiply 4 times 5 times 6, 120. And this is the doc trine of Jesus. 3, 6, 9, and then right at 3, 6, and 9, what does Jesus bellow out? More trinities. Doctrine, astrology, an aspect of 120. What's the lesson? of Jesus on that cross, crying out to God. What is the lesson? It's a lesson for you. That even in your most pain and suffering and torture, and the world is collapsing all around you, did God leave you? Did God leave Jesus? Did he just abandon him on the cross? He's crying out, why did you abandon me? Well, we know he didn't abandon him, did we? We know this, why? Because he rose again. God was with him the entire time. This is the lesson on the cross. So what's the lesson for you? Number one, what is the lesson? Even Jesus questioned God. Even Jesus questioned when he was in this the the when he was in this most terror and pain and torture and you know whatever you want to say, depression, lost, like a lot of people are. And they're in that darkness. And they're like, God, why are you doing this? Well, that's okay. That's a reasonable thing because even your Lord and Savior questioned it. Even Jesus questioned his faith. But what did Jesus ultimately happen? We know that he rose again and we know that God never left his side. We know, we know as Gnostics, we know, okay, where God is, where the Lord resides within literally is the thing that animates and enlivens you, the eternal source within you, that can't die. It's eternal. It's eternal. So what's the lesson here? Even when you're at your worst point, depression and lost and you're in darkness and all the whole world going to hell. That's all the world going to get. God, where are you? Why would God blah, 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 blah. Guess what? God's still there. And guess what? God still knows that even after all of the winter, there's going to be a rising. The sun is going to rise again. Even after all of that destruction, guess what's going to happen? Does the darkness overcome the light or is there the darkness... The, that light, uh, the, or the light that darkness comprehended not. Which one is it? 
Is it the darkness always overcomes everything and everything goes to shit? Or is there a light which darkness comprehended not? You should know your faith because your faith rests in that knowledge. Mark 15, 35. And some of them stood by when they heard it, said, Behold, he calleth Elias. Now, why is this important? Once again, this is basically, once again, this all comes to the fact that it's like, hey, Jesus is your Messiah. Everybody's Messiah. You rejected him, right? And when you rejected him and when he was put on that cross, all the scripture, all of the scripture was fulfilled. Everything that you said, all you Jews said that was going to happen, happened. And scripture is saying it. That's why it says, and the scripture was fulfilled. So what is part of the scripture? Well, part of the scripture in the Old Testament is that Elijah, Elias, is going to announce the Messiah. And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. He's like, hey, where's, where am I? He calleth Elias. Why is this important? Because when Jesus is put on the cross, this is fulfilling their scripture, and they don't like it. Oh, well, too, too, too bad. In addition, the timing is right. Jewish tradition says that Elijah is present at the Passover meal. So Elijah says, or legend says that Elijah will come to rescue the righteous, and it makes sense if Jesus really is the Messiah. Because behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome uh, day, the coming day of the Lord, is what it says. But in the prophetic sense, as we know, Elijah already came. And Eli we covered this. We'll cover it briefly again. Elijah already came. So Jewish tradition says Elijah needs to show up at Passover and announce the Messiah. And that's exactly what happened in the New Testament. Elijah already came, but as John the Baptist, before John was born, John will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Luke 1, 17. We already read this. We'll go before. So in other words, Elijah has to show up. Well, this is what we said. And it even says here, John, will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. And this is what we talked about before, that you can't even understand how John is Elijah unless you bring to bear reincarnation on this story, which is what this, I mean, this is what you're here to do. You're a, you're a, a soul that comes down here to try to find your way home. And if you don't, I mean, depending on what you do down here, I guess, then you get recapitulated back into the biological, you know, kingdom here, and you have to do it again. So here's Elijah and John the Baptist. The testimony of the Bible itself, although admittedly inconclusive, does suggest a general belief in the doctrine of rebirth. Reincarnation. In the Old Testament, the prophets foretell the reappearance of one of themselves. Isaiah speaks of the forerunner of the Messiah. Um, uh, and then it goes here, the prophet Malachi, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. The prophecy is fulfilled in the New Testament. In the first chapter, St. Luke tells of the conception of John the Baptist, as promised by the angel to the future father, Zacharias. Um, Elizabeth, his wife, he was told, would conceive and bear a son. In Gabriel, it says, and he shall go, um, in verse 17, Gabriel proclaims, excuse me, and he shall go before him in the spirit and the power of Eli Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just 
to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So in other words, what are we dealing with here? Why is St. John, Elias, and Elias, Elijah, what, what's, what's going on here? Because it's the same I am. This spirit came into Elijah in the Old Testament and was in there. And then that spirit took on all of the things. It's like, oh, I'm this body here. And then I took on this name being Elijah here. And I'm with this group of people. And then that spirit didn't make it or whatever. And then showed up as St. John. And then St. John comes into a body. He's like, oh, right, you know, I'm St. John. I'm this guy I'm following Jesus and stuff like that. Same spirit. It's the same I am. No different. And the only way you can even possibly make sense of that is through reincarnation. I don't see how you could even explain that away. <laughs> I just don't even understand it. Uh, so, so here we have, in other words, the Jewish scriptures were fulfilled to the T and the Jews rejected it. That's what you need to know. Okay? And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. Let's see if Elijah shows up. It doesn't matter. In the beginning was the word. John already announced it. There's a whole book about it. <laughs> okay. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Jesus died. Now, did he really die? The body, but the spirit inside can't die. So did God ever leave Jesus? And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. This means it was ripped to shreds. Top to bottom, the thing goes, it's gone. Why? Because the, the metaphysical Christ is here. Well, is, you know, the, the idea is that that temple is gone. In, in other words, this. Say, say it like this. The Old Testament is a, a veil of that, and it was rent, and it was twain, it was ripped in two from top to bottom when he died. And then there was the New Testament that arises. Now, all of a sudden, a centurion shows up. So when the centurion, which stood over against him, important language, saw that he, he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Okay? And then it says this, there were also women looking far off. Among those was Mary Magdalene and Mary, Jesus' mother. Mary, the mother of James the Less and Joseph and Salome. Uh, James and Joseph were Jesus' brother. Salome is, I think, the sister, obviously. Um, but we'll get to that in just a second. So let's go back here. Mark 15, 39. And when the centurion which stood over against him, which stood over against him, Let's go into the canopy of the stars. Who's the centurion? Well, it's Centaurus. Centaurus is a bright constellation in the southern sky, and Centaurus is one of Greek mythology, and Centaurus represents a centaur, a creature that is half human, half, you know, uh, I think it's, what, half horse or something, right? Half human, half horse, I think. Um, just like Sagittarius. So we have a, uh, let's go back here. We have a, Centurion, which stood over against him. Now, 
Jesus, as we just saw from uh, Peter Joseph and everything like that, when we are in the winter solstice, in the winter, right? In the winter, and the sun is getting less on the horizon and less and less and less, and finally gets to a point where it's quote unquote dead for three days and resurrects. And where is all of this happening? Where is all of this happening? It's happening in the area of the Southern Cross. Jesus on the cross, the sun on the cross, and it's all happening. And all of a sudden, a centurion shows up, a centurion shows up, and is stood over against him. And where is this centaurus in the sky? Literally standing over the Southern Cross. (laughs) Does everybody get that? So next thing you know, out of nowhere, apropos of nothing, a centaurian shows up and stood over against Jesus and saw that he cried out and gave up the ghost. And he said, truly, this was the, the son of God. This was, this was the light. This is it. I, this, you know, the whole thing. And so this, and so we know that this is happening in Christmas. This is happening right at the time of the winter solstice. So this is your winter solstice. This is, um, this is looking at your southern hemisphere. So that red line right there. So the, the blue line is essentially where your equinox would be, right? R- around. blue to, The blue to red line is around where the equinox would be. 20, 21st, 22nd. And then you have those three days. And then the 21st, as you can see on the left there, December 25th, that would be Christmas. So you have the essentially the three days before that where the sun is in the tomb. He's dead. Um, what do you want to say? Um, um, Jonah's in the whale for three days. How many, how many hours in three days? We'll get to that in just a second. <laughs> okay. So look to the right there. There's the centurion and he's standing over the Southern cross or the Southern literally crux, which is crucifixion. And right by, we've covered this, by the way, we've covered this as well. Right by the Southern crux is two constellations called Norma and Circanus. Once again, this is a review, but we can see all of this is happening at the time in the season when the sun is literally dying and then dead for three days and then being reborn. All the constellations are right there. We'll see even more. Right next to the southern crux, Jesus the carpenter on a cross, is two constellations called Circanus and Norma. And Norma is a carpenter square. Norma is a carpenter square and Circanus is Latin for compass. So in other words, you can see the Southern Crux is right there. There's your centurion standing over Christ. And what is Christ? He's a carpenter. And what's literally right next to that cross? The tools of the carpenter. (laughs) So not only that, so all of this is happening, by the way, According to the death and resurrection of the sun, all of these characters are in the sky. Okay, so there's your southern crux. Now, that's looking at the southern hemisphere. Let's look at the northern. Okay, this is this is a planisphere. Hold on. So if you guys don't have a planisphere, definitely get a planisphere, like 15 bucks, something like that. You can look, and this is the 30 to 40 degree north latitude, but it's roughly this. I mean, 
45, you know, 40, 50 degrees, 30, 40 degrees. That's essentially where, when you go to the Middle East, where allegedly these books and all that stuff was written, that's essentially the latitude that you're at. So this is essentially what you would see in the sky. Might be, the horizon might be a little bit lower or whatever, but essentially this is what you're going to see. So this is, comes from the 30 to 40 degrees latitude. So this is exactly what you see at 6 a.m. on December 25th, Christmas. This is what you'll see at roughly around that time, 6 a.m. Well, if you look to the south, you see the southern crux right on the horizon. The southern crux is right on the horizon. And then you turn around and you look at the north, and then you see Cygnus, which is the northern cross. And where's the northern cross? It's right on the horizon. It's Both of those are literally laying on the ground. Look, look. The southern crux is like the southern crux is like uh, this, but it's like in the ground. It's like almost like touching the horizon. You turn to the northern. The northern cross is Cygnus, and it's literally on the side, as if it was being buried. Okay. So we see where well, the centurion stood over against him. Uh, Jesus is crying out. Why is he crying? Well, it's because the son is dying and is about to be reborn. There are also women looking far off. Among those was Mary Magdalene and then and Mary, the mother of James the Less, and of Joseph and of Salome. Salome means peace, by the way. That's the, that's the uh, daughter. Um... So let's go, who is Mary Magdalene? Well, Mary Magdalene, as we know, um, probably the, you know, the, the wife or whatever of, of Jesus. I mean, I think Mary Magdalene is mentioned, don't quote me, don't quote me. I think like 12 times, I want to say. 12, 14 times, something like that. I think 12. Um, so mentioned a lot, more so than some of the other disciples, by the way. So Mary Magdalene was a disciple of Jesus. According to the gospel, this is important. Jesus cleansed her of Seven, seven demons. So Jesus cleansed her of seven, seven demons. She was pretty pure. She was like, this, this Mary was very virgin. She was very pure. Okay. She was one of the witnesses at the crucifixion, as we've just seen in the burial of Jesus, which we'll see when we, uh, if we continue on. So there's Mary Magdalene. Now look at this picture of Mary Magdalene. She's holding her hand, you know, like this, to her heart. And she's like looking up. And then her other arm has a cross on a skull. <laughs> it's like, you mean the claustrum and the Golgotha and the Aries and the ram and the lamb? Is this what's going on? Is this where we are in this story? So there is the cross and the skull where Jesus is literally crucified. So this is the Virgo Mary. The Virgo, she's pure, just like just like Jesus. I mean, this constellation could be referencing both of these Marys. By the way, um, this is something that we and we've discussed this before. But this is something that the Bible does all the time. They're using these patterns in the sky and telling different tales. Hey, now we're going to tell the tale of um, Cain and Abel. We're going to use these patterns. Now we're going to tell the story of Adam and Eve and the serpent. Then we're going to use these patterns. Now we're going to tell the story of this, and we're going to use these patterns. This is what the Bible's doing. So here we have the Virgo, Mary, okay? And there is the Virgin Mary right on the ecliptic, obviously. 
crosses the ecliptic and the equator. So you can even see right there why this would be a very significant point in, in, in the story. This is where the, the uh, equator and the, uh, the, they're crossed there, right? Not only that, you're dealing with the cross, there's all these other things. But if you notice above there, there's also a queen's, it's called like queen's hair. It's referencing to a queen. So you have the virgin and then you have the queen right above. And this is Coma Berenices, Berenices, I think you say that. It's Latin for queen's hair. So here's the, the Coma Berenices and Virgo. Okay. So, uh, and this is the queen's hair, the Coma Berenices and the Virgo looking far off to where the centurion, which was over above Jesus, which was on the cross. And there was women, and this is exactly what it says. This is exactly what it says. There were also women looking afar off, among whom was there a couple Marys, a couple virgin, one literally a virgin Mary, the other one that was cleansed by Jesus. So she's pure. So a couple virgin Marys right there, and they were looking afar off. Well, if we say that, hey, let's just say Mary Magdalene in this case represents Virgo Mary. Well, then who's her mother? Or who's the queen? Well, that's the other Mary, Coma Berenices. And they're literally looking afar off from where Jesus is dying on the cross. Look, there are also women looking on afar off. And that's literally what they're doing. <laughs> so, <laughs> this brings me so much joy. Okay, who else was there? We'll get back to this in just a second, okay? So there's your Virgo Mary, your Virgin Mary. So who else was there? Well, we know who was there. There was Pilate. Pilate was there because Pilate is the Roman general that, you know, crucified him and stuff, right? So who's Pilate? Now, this, this might, you guys might laugh about this a little bit, but... It's not a laughing matter. It's literally the etymology. It's literally the phonetics. It's literally the, the word as it's understood in Greek. Pontius Pilate. Pilate. Pontius Pilate. Wait, are you going to say that Pontius was like late for pie? Is that what you're going to say? That's kind of a stretch, Marty. No, it's not. Not at all. Number one, Pontius means five. It comes from the pontos, which is uh, Latin. Pontus in Latin and pontos in Greek. Um, which both of those words start with the letter pe or pi. Pentas. It comes from pentas, which means five. Well, we know that the number five encodes phi, which is a mathematical constant, so beyond that. But pilot is a is a term that's used for a reproach or corrupt or lax prelit, basically corruption. It's a term for, oh, you're corrupt. And it comes from armed with javelins, from pilum, javelin. Javelin. Pilot. Javelin. Okay. Pilot is a term for reproach for a corrupt person armed with javelins. And late is slow, sluggish, slack, lax, negligent. So in other words, his name, Pilot, Pilot is literally pi, which is a representation of the word of God, and late, slow, sluggish, slack, lax, negligent. Now, I was like, if somebody's saying, like, what, or, what pie, well, you can't, we can, pie. no, that's literally, Pilate, when you spell it in Greek, is spelled with their Greek letter, pie. So, what is Pilate? He was late. He was late for, 
where, what is Jesus? He's in the eternal now, is he not? He brings the father of the future and the, and the Holy Ghost of the destroyer into one, into the eternal moment of the salvation that is now. And what was Pilate? He was late for that. He was late for being in the now. He's in the yesteryear. He's in the future. and so He's not living in the Christliness of now, is he? No, he's late for that show. Pilate means javelin. It means spear or javelin. The name Pilatus is the same as the relatively rare adjective meaning armed with javelins or spears in hand. Pila, which was the um, pilum, denoted heavy javelin use. Well, we just talked about Virgo Mary. Do you know what the star, the main star in Virgo Mary is? It's called Spica. Spica is Latin for the word ear, ear of wheat, but spica is also translated simply as spike. It can also mean javelin, spear, or dart. There's your story. There's your scripture in the stars. Spica, the spike, the javelin, the Pontius Pilate was there. And there was the Centaurus, the Centurion, that was standing over the Southern Crux and the Cross. And when is all this happening? Literally in the time period in which all you see all of this stuff in the sky. In the winter, when the sun is dead for three days and rises on the cross. And that whole spiritual path is exactly the path that you're supposed to take. So there's Spica, which literally means javelin. There's Virgo Mary, the women far off, and they were looking at the centurion, which was standing over the Southern Cross. And when is all of this happening? During Christmas, when the sun is dead for three days. Mark, let's finish this baby up. Mark 1541, who also, when he was in Galilee, uh, I'm not going to go into that followed him and ministered unto him. And many other women came up with him unto Jerusalem. And now when the even was come, and the even just basically evening. So basically, what did we just, what did we just undergo? We went from the morning to the evening. That's what we just did. It started out in the morning. And straightway in the morning. And then it ends in the evening. What just happened to the sun? It just did a 180 degree arc in our sky, did it not? And what is Jesus? The Trinity. And what's a triangle? It's 180 degrees. And now when the even was come, because it was the preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in, went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. This guy was, you know, look, he was also waited for the kingdom of God. He was a follower of Christ. He went in just like Christ did. He went into bold. He went boldly into Pilate. He didn't be like, whoa, can I get the body of Jesus? No, he was just like Jesus. He had the same fortitude and strength and gumption, and he knew that they were all corrupt. He walked right in there. Boldly he went in. And Pilate marveled, <laughs> if he were already dead, and calling unto him the centurion and asked him whether he had been dead a while. So the, in other words, that centurion that was looking over Christ was like, hey, is he dead? Is that, that centurion that's looking over Christ? Is he dead? 
And when uh, he knew of it, of the centurion, he gave the body to, to Joseph when he knew he was dead. And this is Joseph. I'm not going to go into this too much. Joseph of Arimathea, uh, you know, classic character. According to all four canonical gospels, the man who assumed responsibility for the burial of Jesus after the crucifixion. There he is. And Joseph just means he will add, you know, which is, um, that's a mathematical term. <laughs> anyway, but beyond all that, um, there he is. So, now, let's head into the brain and see where the, all of this is actually happening. And he, and he bought fine linen. Joseph of Arimathea wanted to wrap him up. So well, think about the contrast here. Before, they were all mocking him and spitting him and hitting him on the head with a reed and stuff like that and wrapping him up in purple and then taking him off and then putting his garments on and casting lots, doing all this other stuff, right? But when Joseph, who respected Jesus, showed up, he wrapped him in fine linen and laid him in a sepulcher which was honed out of rock and rolled a stone onto the door of the sepulcher. What is the sepulcher? What is the sepulcher? The sepulchre is a small room or monument cut in rock or built of stone in which a dead person is later buried. Well, where are we? Where does Jesus, where was he crucified? Where is all of this happening? The sepulchre is a small room cut in rock or built of stone in which a dead person is laid or buried. Where is the sepulchre? This is your sepulchre. It's hone out of rock or stone. It's bone. It's your head. That's exactly where they're telling you this is happening. This is not some contrived out of the crazy mind and imagination of Marty Leeds. The Bible is literally telling you this is happening in Golgotha. In your skull. Now, what's in your skull? Let's take a look at this. This is a 3D rendering of basically all the, the, the parts of the midbrain, okay? And we'll we'll see this here. So... That's your, so you got your medulla oblongata going up there. You got your pons. You got your hippocampus, hippocampus over there. Um, there's, there's a lot going on there. Um, the top there is the fornix. And you see, and I don't know what, you tell me what that looks like. Does that look like there's like a little guy in your head that's like kind of running the show? <laughs> Doesn't it look like there is a little dude in there? And those, those, the sides there, there's his arms. And then that top there, that's his head. And then you can see sort of like the big shoulders and there's his back and his butt and his arms going down there. You can even see there's like a, a ridge up his back. You see that? So, little dude inside your brain in Golgotha where, by the way, the Aries, the Ram, the Lamb is. So you can see there's there's your body, there's your there's your legs. This makes sense. Just a second. Bodies and your legs. And there's there's your... Oh, there's his arms. So if this is the body and the legs, right? If that's the body, the torso there and his legs, and then going up the head, those things that are sticking out, the hippocampus there, those would be the arms, correct? So those are the, the arm or the ram. The arm. The ram. The arms. Hold on. Now I gotta find it through all of these. Oh, I don't even know where it is. Here we go. So the arms in this little dude are literally the hippocampus, and the hippocampus is known as the ram's horns. Ram, arm. 
the ram's horns. The hippocampus. There's his arms. Um, here's his head. It's the arch, the vault, the fornix. This is called your fornix. And that's literally the vault or arch that's actually encasing sort of encasing sort of the midbrain, right? There's his arms. Um, that's your fornix. It's called the fornix. Well, the fornix is literally means arch or dome shaped, and it has a reference to fire. So it's arch, vaulted chamber, vaulted opening. It's also known akin to fornice, which is a brick oven or arch or domed shape that is to heat or warm. Aries is a fire sign. Those fornix lead to the ram's horns, which is your ram arm. Uh, Matthew Duke, I want to say uh, thanks to this. He reminded me of this. I knew this, but he reminded me this morning that um, that arm, by the way, your arm is your your humerus, your funny bone, your ulna, and your radius. Those are the two bones in your forearms. Your ulna, which is a which is an anagram for Luna, which means the moon, and your radius, which is a mathematical term, and then your humerus. And if you add the humerus, the ulna, and the radius, do you know what it sums to? 72. Do you know what Lord Jesus Christ sums to? 72. And what are we talking about? Where are we? They're the arms, the rams, the ram's horns. You mean those are the arms of that little dude, and the arm, they're literally called the ram's horns, and the arm, and then the arm, and then you go to the arm, and it's 72. What's going on here? Lord Jesus Christ, 72. Um, another, just a, just a quick mention of this here. Um, there's also been a lot of other people that have made references to just the, the, the smaller part of this midbrain being represent, represented in a lot of like ancient art and architecture. In fact, um, we watched this series called Ancient Egypt 2. The first series was really good. The second series was good. God freaking awful. My Lord, I'm sorry, but it was just terrible. Awful. But there was about a 15-minute segment in there with this guy named Brad Clausen, who's an artist that actually made a lot of these uh, correlations. And he was showing that that, that, that part, you know, save for the, the ram's horns and even the head, that even that, that, that little part right there is shown in art and architecture like all over the world. That that's, that's what it's there to do. It's like focusing on your midbrain where the ram is. Where the enlightenment occurs, the, high, the head, the, the ram, the high, the high place. Um, we also know the eye of Horus, which is, you know, I mean, pretty clearly a reference to your spinal column, your pon your pons, your medulla oblongata, your, you know, there's your corpus callosum, the whole bit. Thalamus in there is the eye. So there's, you know, uh, all of these things referencing the brain. Once again, where was Jesus crucified? In the sepulcher. Right there. So making connections like this, and this, and this, and this, and that, and this, most reasonable thing in the world. The Bible's telling you that that's where you have to go. Why can we make those connections? Because we know that the firmament is a reflection. The dome of the stars above is reflected in your head. 
this is what the this is what the entire zodiac man is about it's reflected within you it's what the concept of um, the philosophical axiom is really what it is of as above so and below is all about it's what it's all about that all of that up there is reflected in here and now we have the Jesus, the story of Jesus dying and being reborn we have the very constellations that are happening in the sky, all the characters that were there, the women and the centurion and Pilate and Christ himself. And where is all this happening? Within you. All right. A big day for me. Nice to start with Marty. Much love, brothers and sisters. Thank you, Eric C. And thank you to Small Axe. I saw that he put in 10 there. And I'm sorry if I didn't get a chance to get back at you. Uh, Deborah Stilly, knowledge, wisdom, truth, and understanding. You give me that every Sunday. So much amazing information today. Thank you, Marty and Jen, for all your hard work. Thank you. Thank you very much. It took me a long time to put this one together. It really did. So, uh, but I appreciate it. Thank you. Interverse Podcast. Thank you so much. Hippo Hippocrates Matrix. Shabugla. B, any word, Shabugla again. Uh, Mary at sea level, thank you all for joining me today. Matthew, thank you so much. I just woke up now and it's 11.11, Marty mentions me, weird. Yeah, that is weird, huh? Okay, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Thank you for all the support. Um, all right, if you get a chance, we've been watching uh, Amor's videos. He's got a couple, He's he highlighted me in one of them. I don't know why he did that. Bad move, dude. Uh, so he's got a few new videos there uh, that, are, that are good. Uh, so head on over to Gnostic Revelation Mysteries. And he's also got the new video that he... Oh, here, this one. Here. He's also got this. Oh, there he is. Uh, Amor there, Gnostic Revelation Mysteries. Know Thyself, the Gnostic Path of Perennial Wisdom. It's about a two and a half hour uh, documentary. And you can go over there and check it out and show him some loving. Okay. Uh, I hope you guys really enjoyed today. We got one more chapter of Mark to do, Mark 16. And then that will be it. And so, and that's only like 20 verses. So I think what we're going to do is, um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this. I hope you guys do. Jacob, 100%. Thank you so much, my brother. Thank you. Thanks. God blessings are everywhere. Yes. That is one powerful secret decoder ring you got, Marty. I know. I'm going to make fun of it every time. How, how, how condescending can, can you possibly be to the sacred? But a bunch of Christians that literally spend their time shitting on the very things that, that, you know, crack open the book and allow them to understand it. It's, I don't think I'll ever get over it, man. <laughs> yeah, so good today. Wow. Thank you so much. Thank you. Loved it, Marty. I know it was long, but I had to do it because I wanted to make sure it was very thorough. Henry David Thorough. Um, next week, what we are going to do, and I promise I'm going to do this, we're going to finish up with Mark. Um, it's only 20 verses. And so I think I'm just going to kind of go through it, you know, fairly quickly or whatever. And then we're just going to chat. We're just going to, I'm going to be a little bit lax, just be on here for like an hour or something like that. And just talk, um, whatever you guys want to talk about. If you guys have any questions, uh, anything like that. So, um, yeah. So next week we'll do, like I said, we'll finish up Mark. We'll do the whole book of Mark. Could, I can't even believe I did this. Unbelievable. Uh, like I said, 20 verses, be real quick, and then we'll just we'll just chill. It'll be, a, it'll be a nice little relaxing Sunday. And so if you guys have any questions for next week, think of them, bring them to the table, um, and shoot them over to uh, Jennifer there, and she'll collect them or whatever. And then, um, like I said, we'll just chat. We'll, it'll, just, it'll be casual, as, as, as casual as I be, as I am. So, uh, okay, that's going to do it. Guys, thank you so much, as always. Um, 
Uh, if you want to become a, uh, a supporter, you're all members of the church. I've been saying you become a member of the church. No, you guys are all members of the church, whether you give me any money or not. The church is the church of Christ. The Christ, church of Christ is everywhere. You don't need to come to my site and give me money or give me an attaboy to be part of the church or sign up for anything. You are part of the church. But if you would like to support this monetarily, you can. And you can do that with a three-month tithing, 14 bucks, um, or the one-year tithing, which is 54 and you could do that as a recurring payment or just a one time. Um, and we leave that up to you. So, all right. Thank you so much. Okay, that's going to do it for me, guys. Um, as always, may you always keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. May his grace be with you all. Amen. Like I said, next week we'll finish up Mark. And then after that, um, I've got a whole list of things that I want to do. I'll just tell you what's on the list. Um, let's uh, let's talk astrology. This is all the list of things that I've already started a little bit. Um, a spicy Saturday. Thank you so much. Alliance Creed 20. Thanks, Marty, for giving another piece of the puzzle in the sky. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. If you guys do want to support the work and not give any money to YouTube, you can you can donate directly through the site or whatever like that. I think Jennifer might have dropped in um, uh, some of the links and stuff like that. She should. God bless the woman. Anyway, I'm just kidding. So uh, up on the hit parade that's coming up, Genesis 1-1 revisited. I think I want to revisit Genesis 1-1 because there's so, um, there's so much more there uh, besides the two-hour live stream that we did. Uh, let's talk astrology. That's one that's coming up. Serpent Mound. I want to do Serpent Mound, um, discussing all the astrological correlations and all of that sort of that sort of thing. Symbolism one and one hundred one. That'll be that'll be coming up soon because I'm looking forward to doing that. Symbolism one hundred one, teaching people basically how to extract higher meaning and things like that from symbols. How to like properly, in my opinion, and what what I'll teach anyway. How to properly deconstruct symbols to you know get higher wisdom from it. Um, the transcendentals, we're going to call it teach your children well. So a, a video directly on things that you should, in my opinion, I don't tell people what to do, but pe things that you should teach your children when they, when they're, when they're growing up and, 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 you know, so that they have these foundations. So they're not going into the world like we all were lost as a bunch of retarded sheep. Cause that's exactly what I was for many years, a retarded sheep. So, uh, the tarot deck, the cosmic egg, the cosmic egg chance, chance. If you're in here, brother. If you're still here, my brother, I'm hella excited for that one. And I hope you're going to be here for that because I know that you'll eat that up. Critical Thinking 101. I also want to do that. Um, symbolism of the Christmas Tree was another one. Jonah and the Whale. Um, we're going to do a bunch of book chapters from uh, Pie in the English Alphabet, Volume 1 through 3, which is, um, I sh this, hopefully this will be out next week and I'll start sending them to the people that have pre-ordered. You can pre-order this right now. Um, and it should be, I think I'll be sending them out next week. I'm hoping, fingers crossed. So this is on pre, pre-order. So looking forward to that. And then, um, oh, so a bunch of chapters from this, like Ordo ABKO, we're going to do chess and then some more chapters in Lord Jesus Christ. And then another one we're going to do is, um, probably cracking pie, probably cracking pie. But anyway, um, on the nature of evil, um, just some of the ones coming up. So, and then there's other biblical stories that we're going to do as well. Like I want to do Ezekiel's wheels at some point, uh, that sort of thing. So, okay, guys, that's going to do it for me. 
We're going to listen to uh, one of my tunes off uh, a record called Logos Rising, and it's called, no, this is off, this is not off that record. This is off, shit. This is off Songs for Puddles, and it's a song I wrote, produced, recorded it, everything, myself, all the stuff on it. That's what I usually do. And so it's called Looking for a Savior. Um, Through all the chaos and the order and the sacred and profane, the mystery kept me calling to bust up every chain. I, um, uh, sh- I forget what the other lyrics are. How about we just listen to it? <laughs> all right. Guys, that's going to do it for me. Uh, if you get a chance, stop on over to NosAcademy.org. Okay? Love you guys. As always, many blessings and much love to all. Let's rock out. Just what I'm